So Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 12, and I think we're just going to read, I'll read through verse 26, but 12 through 16 is what the focus of our text is going to be today. So one of those days, which is a, just a funny way, I don't know why that sounds funny, but like one of those days, um, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose the twelve of them, whom he also designated Apostle Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Then he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyrene and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking to his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who will weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. So we have the woes and the curses, um, or the blessings and the woes, excuse me, uh, as Jesus. So when it says he went down with them and stood on a level place, this is known as the Sermon on the Plain, like P-L-A-I-N, plain, like the level grass. Um, Whereas you have the Sermon on the Mount, which is a sloped thing that gently rolls into the Sea of Galilee, and it creates a really, really natural amphitheater. Um, The Sermon on the Plain, Jesus was probably having to project his voice a lot louder. Um, So you have, this is, I think, worth spending a little time on, verses 12 through 16. I'm just going to read it again. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose the twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. All right. So, just kind of painting the picture a little, because sometimes I think there's a there's a way that we're thinking things happened that was a little different than it happened. Um, at this point, Jesus does not have 12 disciples. Um, that should be made pretty obvious because at this point, it's, he's basically saying like, and Jesus chose the 12. But I think sometimes in our mind, we think Jesus chose the 12 and then he started his ministry and then he did all this other stuff. The way that it happens and the way that like... The book of Mark, it blends like a large chunk of time together, um, which is probably like six months worth of time. Here, this is Luke is giving us, a, a, I think, a better look at how it actually happens. Matthew does a little bit of this as well. Jesus has been in public ministry for a chunk of time now, um, probably at least three months, maybe a little bit more than that. He has a group of people who are following him who are his disciples. 
Um, so at this point, the people who are defined as disciples are people who have given up everything and are following Jesus. That's it. Um, it's at this point that Jesus starts to layer the focus. Um, so you've got to, to this point, like they're just following him around. They are interacting with him. They are hearing him. They're watching him do all this stuff. Um, and we don't, we don't exactly know how many of them. It seems that by the end of his ministry, there are 120 um, of men and women who are, would be defined as disciples. Um, it's at this point, though, that he decides to actually sort of like layer his focus. At this point, he has, um, he has given his attention to the many, and now he's going to start focusing on the few. And that doesn't mean that, again, he's not focusing on, he doesn't give time and attention to everyone, but he really drives down there 12 people that are going to get more than half of my time. At this point, it's been everyone, but now it's like, all right, who are the 12 that I'm going to focus on, and they're going to get at least half of my time. And I love the way, remember, there is no one better who has ever lived at discipling people and doing the stuff of God, and leading the stuff of God than Jesus. And so if we want to learn how to do it well, like just look at practically what it is that Jesus does. So one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So let's say there are 200 people standing in front of Jesus on a... Like that he's thinking about it. There are 200 people. He's looking at these people. He's like, all right, who are the people? Like, who are the people that God has set aside to be the disciples? And it seems like he's not sure who those people are yet. Goes onto a mountainside. He spends not just the evening, but all night praying to God. Now, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know exactly what it is that that conversation with the Father looks like. But we do know when he's coming down the mountain... He knows who those 12 people are. It could be that evening, but like by, let's say, midnight, he really knows who those 12 people are. And for the next six hours, he spends the whole of those six hours just interceding for them. Like we don't exactly know what it is that's happening. We know he, probably, he does not seem to know who the disciples are going into that conversation. He knows who the 12 are coming down off the mountain. Um, and... I, th- I think this is just a really important thing for us to see on a couple of different levels. One, each of you have the temptation um, to make a ministry that is designed for the many. Um, and it doesn't mean we don't do things that are for lots of people. We have a large gathering every week. We do events that are for lots of people. Um, but ultimately, a chunk of your time as a follower of Jesus is to be set aside for the few. Now, you can go... You can go ditch to ditch in that, right? You can go, it's all about the few, and I'm never going to do things that are designed for a large group of people to experience the presence of God. Or I can go the other way. It's only about a large group of people, and I never invest in the few. So we see Jesus doing both very clearly. See Paul doing both very clearly, which we'll get to, oh, I don't know, in like six months when we start. It won't even be six months because Acts is a long book. So it'll be like, a year from now, we're in the book of Acts, and we finally get to see what Paul's doing in Acts chapter 18 and 19. Um, but I think this is a really, it's just, I think it's important for us to get this. If Jesus needed to set aside time to hear from the Father who he was called to invest in, we probably do too. 
It's also worth pointing out that there was a season of time where Jesus wasn't discipling people and was in ministry. Um, So there will be seasons of time where you will not be discipling people, at least in the sense that like you might have investment, but it might not be that very specific relationship of you know that I'm discipling you and I know that I'm discipling you and we know what this relationship is about. There will be seasons of time where there isn't that. They probably won't be like super long seasons, but there will be times when it's like that. But when you when that season's over, the first thing that we do is we say, all right, there are all of these people in my life. Maybe there are 10 of those people who are open to it. Maybe there are 50 people who are open to it. Our first step is that we ask the Father, who are you at work in? Who have you, and not that they aren't in work with the rest of them, but like, who have you set aside for this relationship to exist with? Um, and the thing that, to notice about Jesus is that he is not ambiguous about what that relationship looks like. Like, I don't think Matthew or Levi um, or Peter or John or anyone else was like, I, I kind of think maybe this is peer-on-peer discipleship. Like, I don't think Peter was like, you know, I'm kind of pouring into Jesus and he's pouring into me too. Um, I think Peter was like, no, he's the rabbi. He's the teacher. I know who I am in this relationship and he knows who he is in this relationship. Things are pretty clear. Um, And I think clarity is just a big, it's a really important thing for us to see. Like we have, and we talked about this um, in our staff meeting uh, a week and a half ago. I think half of our staff was missing on that particular day. But to say in the New Testament, you see three different types of discipling relationships. You see Paul relationships, Barnabas relationships, and Timothy relationships. Barnabas relationships are the types that are peer on peer. Um, And so we both kind of understand we're on a very similar spiritual footing. And as iron sharpens iron, so one person will sharpen another. And we're going to pour into each other, mutually speaking. But then you've got these Paul and Timothy relationships. Sometimes Paul represents like a father figure. Oftentimes it'll represent more of like an uncle or aunt figure. Um, And we're pouring into someone who is not as far along in their spiritual journey. That's what we see that's happening with Jesus. He's pouring into people who are not on the same playing field as Jesus. Um, You see Paul having relationships with people who are on equal footing with him. Um, You see Paul having relationships Um, with people who are not as far along spiritually as he is. It's really important to know what what those relationships are when you have them. Does that make sense? Who is it that you've been called to disciple? Um, Do they know that they are called? Um, So we talked about, uh, again, a week and a half ago when we had our discipleship training, that they would actually get a chance to, like, go and pray to the Father, am I being called to be in this kind of relationship? Um, but for both parties to not be afraid to say, like, this is what this relationship is. Um, To actually believe that this is a spiritual thing that the Father is doing, that he has set it aside, and that you step confidently into that. Um, And you just see Jesus doing that. But we see him modeling a particular way of doing that um, that we can really, really learn from. Um, There are more people who want to be invested in than you will have time to spend with. Um, the, the more confidently you step into your capacity to disciple people, the more fruit that is coming from your life, the more people will want to be around you. And there will be more people than you have time for. And that's a difficult thing. Um, but the confidence comes from like, I've spent time with the Father. I know who he set aside. I know he is who he has called me to spend my time with as I focus on the few. 
Um, and then I could, that, that relieves us of the pressure of like, but I have to attend to everyone. You can't attend to everyone. Jesus doesn't do that. If Jesus couldn't do it, you can't. Like Jesus was fully human. He was also the son of God. He was fully human. And the spirit rested on him without any limits whatsoever, according to Luke. You have limits, even though you have the same spirit. So if Jesus didn't do it and couldn't do it, you can't either.